Hey, welcome to the show. Today we got Wes Mantooth on the show, or John Harrison, uh, formerly known. He's pushing paper on Instagram. He's been in the game a super long time. Um, we got to hear his story, which was super cool. Um, hopefully we can get him back one day and, and talk a few more things. So we talked for about an hour and went through some paint things and, and processes, which was awesome. So I appreciate uh, Wes coming on, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. So I just want to make sure I get it right. It's it's Wes, right? Mantooth? Yeah, that's actually my nickname. Uh, it's <laughs> something that stuck. Uh, my real name is John Harrison. Uh, I was a, uh, a cop for about 22 years. Uh, we weren't allowed social media, so I used that name, Wes Mantooth, and pretty much everybody in the business kind of knows me as, as Wes uh, uh, from, from social media. So, um, you know, Wes is fine, or John, whichever you want to call me. <laughs> All good. So you hit me up. You were keen to come on and, and tell your story. So who who is Wes? What's your story, man? Well, I tell you what, I started out um, years ago. I was, I'm going to be 50. So um, I started when I was about 14, um, you know, doing body work. And I remember, you know, you know, one of my, you know, really good mentors that just had passed away. I used to ride my bike down his garage and lot. You know, there wasn't, at my age, there wasn't technical schools and different things to go to. You had to like put your dues in, in small shops, you know? And, uh, so I remember walking in and I would stand there and he'd yell at me, get my hands out of my pockets. And uh, it asked me, you know, you're going to stand there. You're going to start pushing paper, which meant start sanding, you know, don't stand there and do nothing. And, uh, so, you know, I started at a young age and, um, I remember my dad had like a one car garage in the back of his house. And I bought like a little 25 gallon compressor and got set up and I painted a deck lid for a Camaro. And, you know, one of the popular colors back then, I was about 16 at this age. Um, one of the popular colors back then was like this. Richard Pannier had done this car. Uh, it was Boomongus, I think it was called. It was a Buick and he did this peach color. And I was really impressed with the car. So I literally carried that trunk lid around on interviews <laughs> to show people that I could paint, you know, and I got a job doing collision and I worked in that field probably for about six years and, you know, became a police officer, did that, but still had and maintained my own shop. Um, started competitively uh, building cars professionally uh, for the Hiska circuit, good guys, um, you know, those types of shows probably around 2005, 2004. Um, and it, it just kind of flourished from there. Uh, got hooked up with a couple of places and, uh, did all the work on my own really with a couple guys, um, you know, in the shop, but had my own established shop and, um, did mostly paint body. Um, is, you know, what we did, but we did do full builds and, and fabrication as well. Um, and that pretty much carried me through to, you know, what I called like my first big build, which was, uh, I painted a car and it was, you know, it was a good guys was a top five contender for, for street machine of the year. And I think that year, like the ring brothers, 
um, Johnston's Rod Shop, uh, Phil and Jeremy from Roaster Shop. You know, those guys were all competing, and we were in that top five realm. And we looked at each other, and we were like a bunch of kids from Western Pennsylvania, a bunch of guys from nowhere competing with these big guys. I mean, we looked up to, you know, the, those guys in the industry, you know, and, you know, the guys like Boyd Coddington and, you know, um, you know, Foose, obviously, and, and all those guys that, that did that. We, we aspired to do that. So for us to go with a build that had nowhere near the money in it that some of those cars had and compete kind of set my goals even higher. You know what I mean? At that point, I made a decision. I was like, I'm going to do this professionally. This is what I'm into, and that's what I'm going to do. And you opened a shop from there? or No, I, I had a shop that whole time. I I basically did collision. I did motorcycles. I did cars. I did restoration. and uh, But that was really the first big car that I did competed on a national level. Uh, that car went to the Optima Challenge, uh, was at SEMA, um, and then after that, it just flourished into one car after another. It was maybe like probably about seven cars in a row that competed nationally, whether it was in indoor events, outdoor events, like I said, at uh, Good Guys Rod Custom or any of the uh, World of Wheels shows, Detroit, um, and it started to become like almost like a lifestyle. Um, that's kind of what it became, you know, so, um, I kind of went with, it, you know, and ended up retiring and, uh, from the police department and, um, you know, started doing it full time. And then I had a shop burned down, um, and, uh, it burned to the ground. So I started full time with, uh, um, who I'm currently with. And basically rebuilt my shop. So I basically, I work all day on rods and then come home at night and work on them. It's just something that I think it's a lifestyle. It gets in your blood with all these, any of the big name shops and it sticks with you. Sorry, it cut out a little bit. Who are you working for at the moment? I'm working at, um, it's uh, Customs by Kill Carries awesome. uh, in uh, 84 PA. Um, the last car we, last couple of cars we did, one was uh, at SEMA. Uh, you guys are, might be familiar with it. Uh, it was a 56 Pontiac Star Chief. Um, and there was a whole crew of guys here. I mean, we had fabricators. Um, and, uh, you know, Bob, you know, me and a, one gentleman did the body. I did the paint. Uh, it was kind of like a crew of guys. I mean, these cars aren't built by, per se, one person. You know what I mean? Um, it definitely takes a a good dedicated crew, which we definitely have, you know, uh, I enjoy working here and like, you know, we talk, you know, you might moan and groan one day and cause it's repetition. You're just, you know, people have told me things over the years and I've had the occasion to meet some pretty influential people in, uh, in the hot rod world and some things that stick out that were always told to me. And, and one of the things was treat every part, that you're doing on the car like it's on display. So I don't care whether you're doing a bumper bracket, whether you're, you know, doing the inside of a fender, a hood scoop, uh, you know, valve covers, if you're painting them, mudding them, you know, body working them, priming them, treat that part like it's going to be in a little glass box 
and that's all somebody's going to look at. And when I started doing things that way, which is kind of tireless, I mean, it gets to be monotonous. Um, I think we all accelerated in what we did. Everybody started to think of things that way. And that's kind of how we started building these cars was every aspect, no matter what, no matter what you look at, has to be done to the caliber of it's going to be exposed. Whether it's a section of exhaust underneath the car, a bracket, a bolt that needs to be you know, moved over a millimeter or two, um, you know, you have to do everything like it's going to be showcased for the show and everybody's going to see every component on the vehicle. And I think if you do that, you'll be successful. I really do. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing was, you know, about, you know, product. I mean, you got to use products um, that are relative. You got to stay pretty much cutting edge um you have to stay up on those things um you can't be afraid to fail and try new. you got to try new things you know um the only thing that in my opinion that can come from failure is success um if you fail at something and quit well then you you've achieved failure but if you pick yourself up and you keep going and you keep trying new things and and keep pushing forward sooner or later you're going to succeed. You know, you get better at what you do. You know, anybody that thinks that somebody like myself or any painter out there, like any of the big guys just rolls out of bed, just does it like it's nothing. I mean, we, I think we all struggle. We hate to admit we do, but I think we all struggle and we have the same struggles, but, um, you know, I got hired at, uh, kill carries. That's where I work full time. And, um, you know, we switched over to, um, when I got there to waterborne, I had never sprayed waterborne. Um, and I thought it was going to be a giant problem. And, uh, it really wasn't. We used 90 line glazurate and, um, it's an awesome product. You know, we use our 210 clear. Um, and you know, that whole family, if anybody's out there knows, you know, you're a phone call away from anybody in the industry. Um, they're tech guys, tech support, anything you need, it's there. It's at your fingertips. And, you know, that's beneficial if you have a shop to be able to just get on the phone and call somebody if you have a problem or you're trying a new product. You know, we're constantly, if you're going to school, uh, you know, my boss sent us to paint school. We sent Anthony that I work with. So you're, you're constantly learning and educating uh, yourself and that helps you grow, you know, and get better at what you do. As the Glazurit 100 line being released where you are? No, we did not. We have, we used 90 line. Um, I've used 55 line, which is obviously solvent based, um, but we use 90 line right now. The 100 line has not been released here. We, at least we are not using it. Um, we have a, my boss is a pretty large collision shop uh, in which um, that's where, you know, the most, I and mean, then we have a hot rod shop that's kind of separate. And, uh, but we do use 90, but the 100 line we have not used. I don't know if we have plans to um, switch over to that. That'd be above my pay grade. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, I just come in and kind of do what I'm supposed to do, and that's it, you know. Um, but, uh, no, we have not used it at all. Now, we have used some of their, um, I don't know if you've seen the UV primers. 
not the Gladrit specific. Uh, actually, I have used the Gladrit ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We like our our collision shop uses you know the uh, the UV primer, um, and um, I like it for spot repair and doing things like that for sure. Um, but we do cars basically. You know, I've listened to your podcast and like you know like the other day with Tyler. I mean, we use a. Uh, you know, an epoxy primer first, like the, the 801703, and then at, over that we do our fillers and things of that nature, and then we, you know, we'll follow up with a polyester primer um, after that, uh, and then, um, you know, seal it uh, with their sealer to 28529, and then uh, just go on to, you know, your uh, your base your base coat, your 90 line, which we used Charisma line on the last car, and then you know your 210 clears and then um basically what we do is we try to stack clear um in 2018 when we switched to the 210 clear um i was we were out in vegas and had talked to uh um eddie pettis i don't know if you're familiar with him um and we were talking about stacking clear because to achieve that high gloss finish the clear is up to par but obviously, you know, I mean, you're starting blocking with acrylic blocks, um, you know, at 600, 800, 1,000, 1,500, all the way to like 2,500 on acrylics usually. And your guide coating, like we use a dry, a dry powder guide coat um, in between. And then after that, we'll go to a Trizac pad and we'll go all the way to 7,000. And after 7,000, you literally... I was a big proponent of wool pads, uh, like white wool, um, yellow wool, and then a foam pad. Well, I find if you take that little bit of extra time and go all the way to a 7,000, I mean, you literally can use an orbital um, on a car with some compound, and it will polish up like you wouldn't believe. And you'll get that finish if you go that far with the paint. You know, and, you know, it's there's an old saying, you, you know, you make the paint work for you. You don't work for the paint. But, you know, I, I feel in the custom car world, you know, you're working to achieve that top of the line finish. You know what I mean? Regardless, you are working to achieve that flawless finish, which everybody thinks is there when you see them. But, you know, we know where all the bad spots are as a painter. You know, when you're when you're wet sanding, you know, like if I'm with my, you know, the guy that works with me, Anthony Chick, in the, in the shop, if he's wet sanding with me and we're buffing, I mean, you know every square inch of that car, you know, and you know where every little mistake is, you know, and, you know, it's a it's a painstaking process, but, you know, we enjoy doing it. I mean, we're, we're getting to live out and get, we're getting paid to, to do a hobby that most people will probably never get paid to do. So, um, you know, we're pretty fortunate in that sense yeah and the any grits above say 2500 is almost part of the polishing process exactly you're exactly right i couldn't have said it better they uh you can literally see when you i wasn't a big advocate of using a da on a panel that we literally just spent months blocking and blocking and blocking and you know you hang the panels on the car and, and you know um you know, you're basically blocking to take what I call, not to use a, a bad term, you want to get the pregnant out of the panel. These, these cars have a natural curve 
to the panel and, and you want to get that out and work that out as much as you can in the fabrication stage with the metal guys, but it's not always totally gone. So, um, you know, we've gone as far as, you know, you weld a piece of 90 down the side of a car, and, you know, just tack weld it on just to see where you're at, you know, and see how level your panels are and where your panels are set, you know, and you're trying to achieve that totally straight, non-impregnated panel, you know, any, there's nothing worse than when you look at something and you can see it, like, go down the side of the car, the panels, like, dip in, you know what I mean? You want that streamlined look, you know, and that can only be achieved by, like I said, you block and block and block, and then when I got turned on to, you know, using a DA for my final sanding, I was like, there's no way I'm going to stop. I mean, I'll go to a soft block, uh, you know, and, and, you know, wrap some paper in a soft block, but there's no way I'm DA. And, and then the more and more I saw people use the product, I was like, man, I got to try this, you know? And, uh, when I did, I was like, man, this is like night and day as far as finishing your polishing and your final, uh, your final finish, at least for me, it was, I, I there was a, a noticeable difference in, uh, in the finish, um, on, on, at least through my eyes. Yeah. And it comes down to the user. You can, you can wreck a panel just as quick as you can make it, um, better with a DA. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. You can. And, and, and I mean, like there's guys out there, like, you know, I was listening to to Tyler's podcast, you know, you know, we talk and, you know, the tips that he gives, you know, a lot of people are up in the air about people, you know, giving away information and, you know, it seems like the older guys in the industry are, but like, to me, if you can help somebody achieve that goal, there's plenty of room for all of us. I want to, the people around me, you're only as good as the people around you. So if the people I'm running with and the circles I'm running with are the best in the industry, then I want up and comers to learn the trade and kids in their twenties and mid twenties to be interested, interested in the field and get involved. Um, Cause we definitely don't want to see the industry go away. We definitely don't want to see it take a turn the opposite way. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I'd love to have somebody come in and, and pick up a paint gun and be able to paint and, uh, you know, sit back and watch them. But it, it, unfortunately the industry fabrication is really, I think, hurting right now for for qualified fabricators um you know these kids are are getting out of school and just kind of you know get jobs in shops or else they they can't get a job in a hot rod shop because it to me it's like a a benefit i mean it's how many people get to wake up and work on custom cars every day and get paid for it you know um that's kind of like living the dream in my opinion yeah, you gotta you know, be you gotta be ambitious and and self driven. Like I had Aiden Hunt on; he's a, a world class fabricator here in Australia. He um he self he self taught at the stuff that he does, and now he's one of the best. So you you do gotta push yourself to some point to to want to get to that level. Right, and and that's how a lot of guys. I don't know how old he is, and I I, I think I've heard the name. I'll have to listen to the. To the the podcast but you know a lot of guys like me like i said we there was no schools there wasn't i mean there was tech school like at high school like you went to votech and you went over and 
you know, they bang, they bang on a panel and put some dents in it and say, okay, you know, take the dents off. But I mean, I came from a time when, I mean, we were still using lacquer primer. You know, we were using PPG DZ7 and DZ3. Um, you know, we were using like 1100 clear and DAU82. Uh, base coats were like DBUs. Um, you know, we were still using lacquers and, and uh, things like that. So the industry has, I mean, the strides the industry has taken, it's just, they're, they're great strides in, in, uh, in the hot rod world because it is basically a collision-based environment. I mean, let's be honest, you know, most of the techs that are out there are making their bread and butter doing collision work. I mean, that's the bread and butter of the industry. And, um, you know, and, and that's kind of why I like, you know, DSF is so geared towards everyone. I mean, you know, you think of anybody, in, you know, they use BASF, you know, um, anybody you can think of, Foos, Eddie Pettis, us, all these guys, you know, um, you know, the Rose Shop, uh, Goolsby, uh, those guys all are part of the BASF family. So, you know, it's good that it's refreshing to have a company that is behind us that wants to see us bring to life what's in our brains, you know, and, 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 and do these, these hot rods, you know, and, um, you know, I remember growing up and, you know, I've had the occasion to, to, to meet Winfield and those guys and Barris obviously isn't with us, but, you know, to meet those guys and see how they did things and led and, it's just that's a whole different art form in itself as well um you know i look at the industry as you know different techs have different jobs and i learned really hard and really fast just this past year um i wasn't a big advocate of of fabrication i i was really hard on fabricators you know uh being the guy that has to make the car you know, what it is on the show floor, I found myself taking a look back now because I actually got thrown into doing some fabricator with my coworker, Anthony here. And, you know, I was in the trenches with metal work and I see the difference between now, if you take a panel, like you look at these big elaborate engine bay that people make, you know, and these sheet metal guys make, I now know the difference between hanging a quarter panel and making something from scratch and making all the templates and, and planning it all out, make sure it doesn't fit. And it is an art form all in itself. I mean, it really, really is. And I mean, I look at it as mudding a car and dialing a car in and getting everything in primer and ready to paint. That's another whole art form. And then taking it, Applying the product, getting the paint on the car, blocking and buffing is a whole nother. And then we have a wiring guy that's just totally outstanding here. It just, his wiring is just so neatly run and just, I mean, it looks like a machine did it, you know. So every aspect of the build really needs somebody that's highly qualified in that area to perform that job and get it done right, you know. Because uh, that's what the customers expect at the end of the day. They want as near as perfection as, as you can get. Yeah, it'd be nice to be as well-rounded as you can and be able to do everything. But at the end of the day, it takes it can take years to be 
as, as skilled as some of these guys are. Like, it doesn't happen overnight. Oh, I mean, I, I absolutely. I mean, I look at guys like, uh, you know, like Marcel uh, out in California. He's passed now, too. I think his son may be running the place. And, uh, you know, you look at, at some of the aluminum cars he built and the aluminum bodies. And um, there's a guy that um, our, one of our techs goes to school up in, uh, I want to say it's Boston. Um, it's, I think it's called, his name's Ray Shaleen, I believe it is. And I've seen the stuff that, and Anthony has showed me the things that that guy has done and building bucks. And I mean, just doing metal work to the point, it looks like it's, it's literally looks like it's just polished. I mean, it looks like it doesn't even need any filler. I mean, it's just, it's so straight and the gaps are just so perfect and it's just all handmade. It's almost unbelievable. Like I said, it, it takes craftsmen on every level. And in order to have a shop and put out a custom hot rod in today's market, you need multiple people to perform all of those tasks. You definitely do. And you got to have them behind. You got to have the right products, the right sponsors. Um, and you have to network um, with people and talk to people and get out there. And uh, you just can't be afraid. You got to get out there and do it. You know, yeah. um, that's what I tell anybody. You know, if you want to do something in life, you know, my buddy and my mentors always told me, they, they'd always ask me, my one buddy said, you know, where are the best ideas in the world? And I never had an answer for him. He let me go for a few years. And finally, about two years before he passed, he gave me the answer. And you know what the answer was? He said, they're in the graveyard. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, most people live their entire life afraid to take a chance, afraid to go out on their own, afraid that idea that they have for a product. You know, you know something as simple as like Tyler. You know, I was listening to the podcast, you know, making his true blocks. You know, how many people out there maybe had an idea that they just didn't capitalize on in the industry and they've passed on and the best ideas are in the ground, maybe, you know? So he always told me, don't be afraid, man. Try it. People if get a, something new, try it. People are afraid of failure and judgment. Yes. Yes. Judgment is huge. The fact that you mentioned that, you know, I don't know if you, you know, I don't hunt, but, my nephews do and there's a thing called buck fever um i don't know if you're familiar with it but like people when they're hunting and they're getting ready to bag a buck they'll get real nervous and shake and, and to this day i'm being honest when i have all those materials sitting there i mean let's face it you know th these aren't cheap materials and you know you're looking at several thousand dollars in materials you're using you know sometimes just the base coat you know, it, you know, you know, you got two, three gallons of a base coat there. You're looking at a couple grand easily, and you're thinking, "What if I screw this up?" You know, what I mean, because it can happen very easily. We're not machines, you know. And uh, so I get, still to this day, I get like kind of like butterflies in my stomach when I'm going to paint something. It's kind of like you know, the prom date or something. You're <laughs> you're scared of failure, but you want to do it, so you kind of just push through it and uh, and get in there and. And, uh, you know, the one guy that, that was at the shop that did the uh, the, the last part with us, the, the 56 Pontiac convertible, he, he pretty much told me, get your ass in the booth and paint that thing, you know, because I was nervous. I, I was, you know, you got all these guys looking at you and 
you know, all the fabricators and the mechanics and, you know, technical and people that have been on the job and people that have made parts and components from steering wheels to wheels and, and different components and aspects of the car. And you're the guy that gets to paint it. And it's like, it's kind of like an honor to, to do that because you're kind of making it come to life. You know, if you have a rendering done by, you know, any of the big guys and you're making their artwork finally come to pass, you know, all of you guys are doing it, but it seems like a lot of pressure at the time when you get in there and you're like, you got to spray that thing. And you're just like, you're a little apprehensive, but you know, you put your mask on, your suit on and you get in there and you just get the job done. You know, that's kind of what you got to do. And, you know, like I said, I've learned how to fix things and I've gotten where I've been on just what I know from different people I worked for. Um, you know, I, I worked at different shops and I took, you know, I worked for this one guy and I liked how he modded cars. So I took that aspect. And then I had another guy that I learned on, you know, block sanding and, and taping and reverse taping lines and primer and, you know, back taping things and, you know, blocking a car out, guide coding it. And I took that aspect. And then, you know, I worked in a shop where I really thought their painter was good. So I made sure I stuck by him because I liked what he knew and I wanted that knowledge. I had a thirst for that knowledge. So I basically am a, a, a product of about six different people. And I just took what I thought were their strongest attributes and combined them and made my own style of how I do things. Yeah, I'll but say, at the end of the day, I say that sorry, as well is, the, is you can learn something from everyone. That's a, that's a big thing that I'm about. And that's correct. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I learned my biggest lesson this year, uh, honestly, in do, doing metal work. I'm, I'm not like some great fabricator or anything. And when I got thrown into doing it, um, I really learned a lot. And, and um, I learned not to be as hard on those guys, too, because. You know, I, you know, I would get something and, you know, right away, you're just like, oh, what about this? What about that? But, you know, that that is a tough, skilled craft that not everybody is good at, you know. And, um, you know, it, it definitely takes time and a different, a different skill set and mindset to complete that to the point where it's show quality, you know. Um, and, and I learned. I learned. I did. I have a, I have a, a better feeling and a bigger respect for those guys now you know um i really do um you know all the years i've been painting and mudding and painting and mudding and i think you know you do that and you're like you think that's it you know and uh but i, I have a bigger respect and then now you know when he goes to the trim guy it's like these cars get built and they get cut down you get less and less time it's like the mock-up and then the fabrication and then the body guy gets less time I'll tell you, what I really feel bad for the trim guys. <laughs> the trim guys just get like the least amount of time. They really, really do. And uh, it, it's like, you know, that again is a whole nother skill set, a whole nother avenue to go down. And I I don't know, as far as trim, I, I, I don't know anything about sewing panels together, I'll tell you that. And uh, there are some talented guys out there. Uh, when I look at some of these interiors at these shows, 
and, and how they put them together and everything's hidden and it's just above and beyond what I would ever expect. You know, and I'd love to take one of these cars back to like the roadster show, you know, like back in the fifties and see how it would perform sixties. Like when the, the, the hero Merc was there, you know, take a modern car back then and see how it would hold up to, if it would be as elegant and classy as that car, you know what I mean? Um, we were sitting you know, I'd in like the, to, uh... like to see that car. We were sitting in the lunchroom yesterday and I actually said, like, what was a trade that you would do if you weren't to do what we do? And I think I think being a, a trimmer would be one of my options. I, I think that would be a pretty cool school to learn. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've had the occasion. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Like, our, our trim guy here, uh, uh, Schuster Interiors, um, I got to be pretty good friends with him. Um, and so I've you know, kind of been behind the scenes at his shop and I see what he goes through and it's a very meticulous, you know, stretching that leather and, and getting it to stay down. And there's so many different stitches and seams and, and things you can do. And he, I mean, the kid, the, I call him a kid because obviously he's younger than me, you know, but, um, it, it just blows my mind when I, when I see one of his interiors, um, they're just, um, they look so simple but we've had cars back that we had to do repairs to uh, for whatever reason, you know, and, you know, I'd have to call him and say, hey, dude, like, how do you take his panel out? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. There's no clips. There's no nothing. And he'd be like, oh, well, there's a hidden seam. And, you know, just get a plastic pry bar, or pry tool, and that's all magnetic, you know. And there was these, you know, he has these, like, high-powered magnetic magnets, like, they're recessed into the panels holding everything together and it literally the whole trunk came out it was all magnetic not a screw anywhere you know and i'm thinking to myself i remember you know even in 2005 you know i had a trunk panel done uh and it was all screwed together and button heads and you know different things holding it and now everything is so seamless and streamlined and everything flows and like i said it's because these guys they have that mindset and skill set like you're talking about if you wanted to do something else. Me, I think if I was going to do something else, because I got a taste for fabrication now, a small taste, I think I would want to do a lot more fab work. Um, I, I'd want to learn that. I'd want to learn everything I could about that. Because if you look at building a car, it's just like building a house. If you have somebody who puts up a crooked foundation and you keep going down and you put the insulation in and the drywall up. And then when you get to the finer tuning things like baseboards, crown molding, what happens? Everything kind of gets just more crooked and more crooked as you go down the line. So our first defense and our first line in doing a car is metal fabrication, you know? So I think I'd want to learn that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a pretty cool school to learn. If you we know, uh, if I jump back a couple of steps, you also mess, uh, sure. mentioned uh, about the BASF and Glazrit family, how how much support you have, and uh, Glazrit within the industry. I I was actually thinking about that yesterday, and I'd say a, a high percentage of guests I've had on the show are PPG supporters nowadays. I know in Australia, really? in Australia here, the the BASF have done a deal with. Um, We've got a, a repairer here that's a 
a large network of um I don't, do you have like the Gemini group there? I know they're in Europe, I think, maybe. I've never heard of that, no. No, so that, yeah, just a quick get them in, get them out. Some of the shops are punching out like 100 cars a week type thing. And yeah, they, they did a deal with BASF, so they're running Gladrick there. And it's um, okay. we, don't, we don't have a distributor here anymore. It's actually very hard to get BASF product. Wow. See, now we, now I've come because I've had the luxury of owning my own shop, um, you know, before I, you know, I still do, I still do a lot of motorcycles and things like that. Uh, and, and I'm into doing a lot of stuff. I'm not a big fan of like airbrushing. I like a lot of clean lines and definitive lines. I'm kind of like, you know, the ring brothers kind of do. It's kind of like the style I like. Um, but I've had the, the, the honor, I should say of, of spraying, I mean, I call it Shirley Williams because I say it's house paint, but I mean, I've sprayed Sherwin, uh, Sickens, uh, PPG, like I've sprayed all the PPG lines, you know, uh, you know, I've done their Omni, I've done, uh, when they had Global, uh, Shopline, I've done their top of the line stuff, with, you know, the PPG brand of DBCs and, you know, 2021 Clears and all those different things. And, you know, I've sprayed pretty much everything. Um, even House of Color, I've, I've had the occasion to use House of Color. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying it because they're, they're an advocate of us and they support us and that's what I use. I have had the least problems with their 90 line. Like, you know, something as simple as, you know, the assembly process. You know, we take these cars apart, put them together, take them apart, put them together, take them apart, put them together multiple multiple times when you come down to assembly and you get everything back from chroming and you know you have those extra mills on you know whether it's a chrome bumper or you know a door handle or whatever and you know you might get a little paint crack somebody over tightened something or somebody you know is is doing something that chips a car and you have to do a repair that 90 line here's what i like about it i've had an occasion like with sherwin williams the one time uh, we had done a car, they were, you know, we did a 56 Chevy and I had to spot some stuff in and I had a lifting problem with the base and I went to them and they told me to use RH75, use a, basically a stabilizer in the base because it's too hot of a reducer. So it basically has a hardener in it, so it won't lift. What's nice about this waterborne stuff, if you have a little edge and you burn and it goes through to the sealer or whatever. You don't have to spot prime it or nothing. I've had very good luck, and it doesn't shrink with just dusting a little bit of color, depending on how bad the repair is. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I've had luck with just dusting a little bit of color and then re-clearing and doing a blend. And as far as blending their clear, it is unbelievable to blend. I've blend rockers, and, I mean, you, you just can't even tell. That 210 clear just melts in so nicely is to where you don't have to clear an entire side of a car if you're you're doing something big like a you know a 56 chevy or a panel wagon or something you can get away with you know fly taping an edge or rolling an edge and doing a blend and you do not have to worry about it i mean i've had nothing come back i've had that luck with this product where some of the other products i've had some issues with with blending and spotting in and, and doing things it seems like 90 line is I mean, 
so far it's been infallible. I mean, it's just been great to use. Um, so when you're now, like I said, I, I let's put you in the, the. I've used a lot of ninety line. Let's put you in the booth. How, are you tacking between coats? I do not tack. Here's what I do. I do the same thing as solvent basin, and and they except I dry sand. And here's what I do. Um, I'll get in the booth and I'll lay my sealer down, and I don't wet sand until like I my sealer I will lightly wet sand. So you know I'll put my sealer on, um, and I'll tint it. We have a tinting chart of whatever I'm coloring. You know if I'm doing white, black, or any type of gray in between. And I'll come back with like 600 wet, and I'll just lightly dip my sealer, okay? And I'll come in, I'll lay my waterborne down, and if you allow that to dry, it, it actually will keep over. I mean, it it keeps pretty long, because um, I'm not a proponent of intercoat clears if I'm doing stripes or anything. I like to get clear on a car and get it all one color if I'm doing like a technical paint job or I'm doing stripes. You know, I'll get the body color down, the main color, and then I'll come back and do my other colors. But um, I'll lay my base down and I'll leave it sit. Sometimes I'll leave it sit overnight. I come back in dry with like some 800 on a little, uh, it's like a little 3M pad uh, with some 800 and I'll just denib it a little bit. And then I do what's called, I'm sure you're familiar, I'll do a drop coat. I'll drop coat like two or three drop coats and get the metallic to stand up nice. Wait my uh, flash times, maybe like an hour, 45 minutes or so. And then I'll start stacking my clear. Um, and I'll try to get a minimum of four coats, but I'd like to get five on. Um, I think six is pushing it. You know what I mean? Uh, I think you have a tendency maybe to get some solvent pops or things like that. Um, but, I mean, I've gone at great length. You know, like me and Eddie have talked. Um, you know, in between those coats of clear, I'll start a stopwatch. And I put a piece of paper on the wall. And I literally just put a line. You know, like an old school like line. One coat, two coats, three coats. And then put a, la a slash through it, five. And I literally start my timer on my phone. And I wait 15 minutes. 15 minutes I go in, and I'll put another coat. I'll come out 15 minutes, mix up some more, go back in, another coat, you know. And, you know, there's this whole thing with painters, and I don't know if you agree. You can shed some light on it. In the show car world, we're blocking and buffing every panel. So I really don't like when a painter wants to come in and lay this, like, beautiful paint job down what i want is i want the base laid down really nice i don't want any stripes tiger stripes any you know imperfections in the base and we're gonna block and buff it so don't pile it on and get runs everywhere and you know curtains everywhere um put it on nicely get it on because we're gonna start with 600 and level the panel out anyway I don't need a painter to go in if I'm working with somebody and show off and show me how great he can lay clear down on these cars. That's just my opinion. I mean, there's there's other people that vary and say, you know, they want you know they want it to look slick as hell. I mean, I'm not saying to go in there and make and have dry spray everywhere and have it look like a big orange, but lay it on to where it's like right at that point where it's almost ready. You know what I mean? Don't try to show off. Get in there and get enough paint on it. 
get it on, get your, get your pattern down, your 50% overlap, make it nice. This way, when we block and buff it, we can really make it look good. You know what I mean? Um, that That's my goal as a painter, you know, is is to do that so it makes whoever's wet sanding and buffing the car with me, it makes our job easier, you know. Um, nobody wants to get in there with a razor blade and start shaving runs off and in hard areas and things like that. So, but that's my process basically. Now, now I, what you do, I'd like to hear too. Now I, I hundred percent agree with that moving into the, the custom world and, and restoration world. Um, it was almost risk. Uh, yeah. Reskilling was being told to not hammer that clear on because I, I've actually seen it side by panel by panel. You can actually get a nicer finish um, wet sanding and polishing a panel that hasn't been absolutely hammered on. If you're bombing that clear on and, and going for that slick off the gun finish, I, you can't, well, I don't want to say you can't, but I feel like the end result from being blocked and polished, you get a better result from when you haven't put it on as heavy. I think what I call it is it almost looks like uh, when, when people ha people hammer that clear on it looks like kind of like uh, cottage cheesy. It looks like uh, looks fake. It don't look. It doesn't look level. You know what I mean? And when you look at a shop light, like one of my big tests, um, and, and a lot of my guys, a lot of the guys I work with is if you hold a shop light on a panel, it should look straight. It shouldn't look distorted at all you know what i mean um if you can achieve that you've done your job you know because when you go um, to when you run an acrylic wet block over it it when you put it on super heavy you don't have any of that peel and it it almost rides over top i think colton from linear calls it like a, a urethane wave it it glides over right. even though you're cutting with a super hard acrylic block it almost glides over top and you just get that that slight weird ripple effect in nuclear right i 100 percent. i know the exact effect that you're talking about and now are you, you i don't know if you use but we also and and this is tough for me to get it was really tough to get used to we use dry guide coat on our clear i don't know if you do or not um but they make white and black i think 3m makes it mirka makes it um but we do use a dry powder guide coat and I never used to, but I remember the first time I used it, it literally, I thought I sanded through on like, on every edge <laughs> because it, it leaves like a residue a little bit. And, but it does keep you very honest with your acrylics and it does keep you honest with sanding because yeah, we used it on the last, um, there's a black 46 Buick. We, we used the white guide coat on that was. The first time okay. we've used that, yeah, it was helpful. I like it. I, I do too. I, you know, and, and we've, we've been using it now. I've been using it now for, you know, I've been here, geez, this will be five years. I'm starting my sixth year here. Um, so um, I've, I've been using it now. That's what we use. And, you know, it, it's tedious and it's a long process, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I've learned to kind of get past it, and, you know, and it keep, any product that's going to keep you honest and and make the final finish and the final product a better result, I, I think I'm a proponent of using. Um, because 
you, you know, I mean, you go to these shows, and I'm sure you have the experience of you put all these hours in with all these guys. These guys are like, you know, everybody's heard of the SEMA crunch and, and, and all these things, you know, where you're working 20-hour days trying to get a car done and get it running. And then, you know, you unveil a car, and it takes one person to come in. You guys are proud of what you've accomplished, and the whole team's done it. And then it takes one person to come by that probably doesn't know anything and says, oh, that color's ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Or why'd they do that to that car? You know, and it's like a pin in a balloon. It just, like, deflates you, you know, for a second. And then you think back and you go, it's probably somebody that doesn't really know the business or know how much work is in this, you know. And, uh, you know, that's a whole other avenue we can talk about one day. Uh, The whole, I don't know if you're, are you guys having this patina craze? uh in australia yeah a little bit yep okay this patina craze up here is just everybody wants or even me I, I won't even drive a shiny car my cars both my cars are patina cars uh and uh, i just I, there's this thing about it that you don't have to worry about it you know you can just jump in a shop truck and go down and get your parts that you need and put a motor in the bed and and come back it's not a perfect car but i did i was interested to hear um you know if you guys were having that same craze uh because it's pretty prevalent up here there's a a company in euclid ohio street machinery uh guy boris runs it out there and uh he him and jerome this guy jerome just a phenomenal painter i I don't know how more people don't know airbrush artist i mean this guy is just phenomenal um and uh you know he's running the show out there and he's doing a pretty good job of it as far as doing these patina cars and getting them out there i mean people are just digging them they're just cool um now i've had the occasion to do some cars patina work on uh probably about a dozen cars which it is fun i mean because it's lackadaisical when you don't have to worry about anything you know if if something fuels or lifts it's actually cool you know uh it works out for you but uh, it's good to hear that that's down there too, you know, because that brings another element into uh, into the, the world of uh, the realm of these cars is because a lot of guys just want that beefed up body. And then, you know, like, you know, Goldsby just did that Chevelle and the, the body's all original and it. I mean, it has a roaster shop chassis, LS, all new interior. So everything is spotless. And we're seeing, I'm seeing more and more of that come forward where somebody wants a car that performs has the LS in it, the drive line and has all the modern anemones as far as like air conditioning and, you know, serpentine system and, you know, the big disc brakes, but they want it in a body that they can just go to home Depot or go to eat dinner with their wife or girlfriend or whoever, you know, and just park it in the parking lot and not worry about it. Yeah. You know, whereas if you, if you have a car that's totally polished and finished, you don't want to take it there and just park it there and air it out and leave it sit in the parking lot while you're eating at a local diner, you know, so. Yeah, um, I had uh, Rachel Derbs, she's a local chick here, she's just finished up, that was her first project of the year, was a Patina F100 that she did a cool job on. Oh, really? And there's a guy I follow, I think uh, his name's Joe Morris, J-Moto, do you follow him? Okay. No, I do not. He's over in the States somewhere. He does a bunch of wicked Indian motorcycles and, and patina paint jobs. He's got a very unique style of patina. Oh, 
oh, really? I'll have to write it down and, and check them out. I, I like, like I said, anything for growth in the industry or growth as a person or, you know, getting better at any skill set, I'm all for it. You know what I mean? You got to learn. You can never stop. You know, you got to have a hunger for it, like you said, and uh, you got to want to learn the business. And that's a whole different thing, too, is, you know, having a business and running it and also performing and painting and doing that, it's a tough, it's a tough gig, man. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, to perform on a level and then also do the business end of it. Um, yeah, it's tough. You know, my, my boss that I work for, uh, like I said, he has a collision shop and he's phenomenal at what he did and what he does. And, uh, you know, he started the hot rod shop and, and he has us up there and, you know, we're fortunate enough to, to be working there and, and be doing, like I said, doing a hobby and getting paid for it. You know, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It comes a time where, yeah, you don't envy them and they're, they're constantly on their phone and they don't get to do what we do. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Like we'll go to, we'll go to Seymour or something and he, you know, he's running around with, with mothers or, you know, running around, with, you know, good guys, people. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm, Want to have a beer or going to, going to have a drink and, and relax and get a steak and you know my time's over and I, I look at his responsibilities and I go that's a lot man that's a lot on the plate but uh, but he handles it well he's, he he does he's uh, he handles it well so and what's uh, your uh, what's your recommended sanding blocks that you like to use you've obviously been in the gig a long time you've seen the evolution of blocks <laughs> well I mean. It depends on what kind of work you wanted to do. I, you know, I actually, it's funny you bring that up because True Blocks, I use True Blocks for a lot of my uh, wet sanding needs. I really do. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, when Tyler was 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 doing those, uh, we had got two sets uh, from him, and I use those a lot for my wet sanding. Um, but I also, I don't know if you guys know Dan Baker from Aluma Craft Grills. Um, he's local uh, in PA here. Uh, him and uh, Chris Ryan from Ryan, Ryan's Rod and Custom, um, they made aluminum blocks. Now, if I'm doing a big flat roof, like we did a 57 wagon, and we had these, we used aluminum blocks on the roof. It was just such a long area. There's no roof rack. The pinch weld was shaved and everything, so we had a lot of area to cover. So uh, any big areas like that, I'll use an aluminum block. And then, to be honest, um, I've made a lot of my own blocks out of acrylic. Uh, you know, it's a simple process. Uh, you know, I I just cut them up on a bandsaw. I make some different shapes, triangular ones, round ones, uh, you know, and I kind of just... I'll make a handle, I'll make the thickness of that block, if it's, we use standard still, sorry, if it's a, you know, quarter-inch block thickness, I'll cut three of them and make a handle and glue them together, glue it on a block, and then I put it in a bead blaster, literally, I tape the face of where the, uh, where the, um, where the sandpaper goes, and then I bead blast the back edge, so it has, like, a, a rough finish to it, so your hand can kind of grip it. And then my handle, I get some friction tape. I wrap friction tape around it, and it seems like it's the perfect sanding block. I mean, it just, 
and I don't make them for anybody. I just kind of made them myself kind of out of the, on a whim, you know what I mean? Uh, Anthony had brought some acrylic in and uh, I was like, yeah, we're going to cut some of these up now. We have long ones, but big areas, long area, we'll use aluminum uh, from, from Dan Baker and, and, and Chris Ryan from, uh, from those guys. But we use true blocks uh, from Tyler. And I also, like I said, I make my own. So um, I've sanded with some unusual stuff dial rods, wooden dial rods. I mean, anything you can think of to sand with that's going to get into a curve that you need. Um, and then I've also used some door blocks when you get down to, uh, you know, some 3M blocks and things of that nature. Um, you know, when you get down to some of your final sanding, you've got to use that stuff, you know. Because um, sometimes, you know, you set somebody loose with acrylic, they can put some nice dig marks in clear, especially fresh clear. Um, so, you know, if I'm using acrylic, I might give somebody a soft block to follow me a little bit and clean up some edges, and clean up some things, you know, but that's pretty much the process that I use. Um, so there's three different styles, you know, four really, if you think about it, you know, the acrylics, the aluminums, the door blocks, and I even have some foam ones. Uh, they're almost like a pool noodle. You know what a pool noodle is for yeah. a swimming pool? Yep, yep. Uh, there's a company... And I've used those on some some areas, and they you can actually put a rod in them. They're designed. You put a rod in them, and you can bend them to any shape. And there there's round ones and all kind of different edge, flat ones and curved ones, and any any shape you can think of. And I even modify some of them. I'll cut them down, you know, to like a few millimeter, you know, a few inches long, or however, whatever I need to get into space. And, and, uh, and do my sanding, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to getting sanding blocks and cutting them up and making my own shapes. And, and even with door blocks, you know, I've rounded edges. I've taken like, you know, some 80 grit and just sanded an edge. If I was doing a car and I've rounded an edge and just kind of on a square door block and just rounded that edge to what I needed and kind of just made it into my own sanding block, you know, um, I'm sure a lot of guys have done that. I'm not, I'm sure I'm not an innovator in that. I'll tell you that, you know, um, I'm sure people have come up with all kinds of inventive ways to, to get the job done. Yeah. I've got a drawer full of, uh, cut up drawer blocks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, there you go. So yeah, just when you think you do something, nobody else has, somebody <laughs> else has done it, you know? So, you know, we're all in the same the same world, you know what I mean? The same, uh, the same realm. So it, I think we all do things a little differently, but I think the end result is the same, you know? Um, you know, I, 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 I think for sure the end result's the same or else we all wouldn't be still hanging around in this business, you know, other, you know, but, but the thing I like is, is I really want to see, you know, some young guys popping up, you know, I've noticed it in the motorcycle world, because uh, like I said, I, I do some bikes, and there's a lot of young young motorcycle guys popping up, man. Um, it seems like the car hobby, there's not as much, but motorcycles, yeah, it, it's really popping up around here. Um, a lot of young guys. Um, I've, we've come up on, on an hour now. Um, I've, we didn't get to touch on any of your builds or anything. It'd be cool to get you back one day and touch on a few more things. I feel like we only brushed over some things. Hey, man, I like I said, 
I love sharing knowledge, and I love. I'm kind of like not to keep you on the phone. I'm kind of like uh, a hidden guy. I'm not a. Uh, this is the first part. I've been asked to be on other podcasts, and I I don't know why would push me to do this. I think Tyler did. I see Tyler was on, and then Bryce was on, and I'm like, I know these guys. I'm going on this thing if I can. I'm <laughs> gonna have my say. You know what I mean? But uh, but I've had the the opportunity to be on the Round Six podcast, and I've I've turned Brian Slipsky down and some other ones, and I might start doing some. So if you if you're willing to have me back, uh, for sure. I mean, if, if you want to talk builds and uh, and components and and other things in the industry, I'm I'm all for it, man. I was it's great to talk to you and uh, and learn that you know you guys are doing it the same way, and it was awesome, oh, very 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 positive experience. Yeah, hundred percent. I I had a great time. Absolutely, man. All right, we might try to tee it up in the near future and talk about some of your builds and stuff. Thanks for coming oh, on, that man. sounds good. Please tell me you added some of this. <laughs> nah, nah, that's that's one thing I do is I, I sort of trim the ends off and I keep it raw and um, cool. we're just uh, we're cool. just all panel and paint guys. <laughs> I was nervous as hell, so I, you know it is what it is. But I know you got to work. I'll let you go. And when will this air? Because my wife's gonna be asking. Uh, very. Sh- I'll share the link very, very shortly. Um, I'll okay. cut the ends off it, and probably within the next thirty minutes, I'll push it up for you. Oh wow, that's awesome, dude! I look forward to listening to it. Thanks for coming on. Hey man, take care. Be safe down there, and keep it going, man. Keep sanding and spraying. <laughs> we'll catch you, man. All right, man. Bye bye. Hey, welcome to the show. Today we got Wes Mantooth on the show, or John Harrison, uh, formerly known. He's pushing paper on Instagram. He's been in the game a super long time. Um, we got to hear his story, which was super cool. Um, hopefully we can get him back one day and, and talk a few more things. So we talked for about an hour and went through some paint things and, and processes, which was awesome. So I appreciate uh, Wes coming on, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. Mm-hmm.